לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Whatever. It's a, it's a lovely place. Beautiful shul. Beautiful shul. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky at Anshay Chesed in New York City. And Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky and I were at Camp Ramah yesterday in the Berkshires visiting some of our old chanichim and our old friends. Boy, was it, it's, it's always... Can we just spend two seconds talking about it? We have such mixed emotions uh, visiting camp. On the one hand, You know, such a such a big part of our lives. So many wonderful memories, wonderful associations there, uh, and and of course, you know, we we miss it, and we're happy to be there. Also, we're happy to see. It's just joy. Jeremy, what did you think yesterday? Um, I, I first of all, you know, we, we do have missed emotions because, you know, that that's for the three of us. It's a it's a, a phase of our life that is, you know, in the rearview mirror, but. Uh, I, those summers were so precious and I loved being with you guys and I loved being there and I loved seeing our old friends up in camp and I loved seeing my personal children and you know the I, I was I spent nine nine full summers of camp and then a couple of isolated weeks after that uh, and one of the things I always appreciated was seeing the kids you know the I saw older siblings and then younger siblings and saw yeah. little kids become you Big kids become counselors and like you know getting to see some of those children who whom I knew when they were little 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 and now seeing them as as big kids was very sweet a generation at camp is like five years six years you know so with a snap of a finger blink of eye you know things go by so quickly the kids I mean I couldn't recognize some of the kids who are just so big now and like they're all you know kids that we taught when they were like eight and nine are now on staff and like not only staff but they're senior staff. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. It was really funny, you know. We there's a place near camp for our listeners and watchers called the Stone Church, which is a it's not a church and it is stone. It's a, it's, a, it's a cave that has a a stream running through. It's not far from camp. And there was a group going yesterday and I so wanted to go with them. We we had so many good times there hiking there and uh, I I you know, there's so many we took so many kids to to We the took them for Tfilot in the morning. We took them for for classes there cookouts or you know picnics or whatever it was just wonderful wonderful so you know in addition to remembering all of the things I remember the the places we used to, the, the, the day I took Elisheva's uh, group you remember this so so um, I started you know I know the area very well I started giving a tour of the play you know it was on the The microphone and the bus and saying and this used to be an iron ore mine and this used to be a this day and like 
Ellie Shove's going like, and and you know but yesterday was among the wonderful things we had lunch in that thunderous hadar eating eating you know iceberg lettuce off the salad bar (laughs) really we love it we miss it and this is more of it last shabbat last shabbat for all of our friends and we know that you are listening to us on the loudspeakers outside the Chadar Ochel and wherever you are, big, big shout out to everyone at Ramah. We miss you. We love you. And we wish you a good last Shabbat. This is Shabbat Nachamu, Parshat Vayetchanan. I would be remiss if I didn't say it was a beautiful, amazing Parsha. There is so many things in this Parsha. We don't even know where to start. We'll start at the beginning. At the beginning, Moshe is imploring God. He's saying to God, ah, let me in, let me go into the land. And God says, nothing doing. You're not going. And and I just want to get your reaction if you were Moses and you got that that kind of final, you know, it's um, a de- denial of your appeal. It's like Moses is going to the Supreme Court appealing the verdict that he's not allowed to go into land and, and it's it. It's, it's done. You're not going in. And so... Uh, Give me, give me two seconds of catharsis, emotion, not catharsis, but it's just, what what would be going through his mind, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, be Moses for a second in this psychodrama? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitating to answer this because I, I don't know that I can be Moses. I mean, I, I feel like, obviously, the character Moshe is disappointed. Uh, but the way I read this whole thing, we, we talked about this some last week. Um, I, I feel like Moshe, you know, among the reasons you know, we talk about, you know, smashing the tablets, we talk about the, the episode at the rock, we could talk about any number of other things that, that, that bring an end to Moshe's leadership. But the way I read the whole, the whole, arc of the story of the Torah is that a new generation has to go into the land with new leadership. Moses, he's literally reached the mythic, you know, age of death at 120. Moses has to end the the mosaic leadership, the Dor Dea, the generation of consciousness of the desert. That's done for. The generation that received revelation, the generation that left Egypt, those things are in the Jewish past, and Moses is in the Jewish past with them. They are our ancestral legacy. I feel like the story makes sense because Moshe ends up on the other side of the Jordan, and that a new phase begins when they enter. So I, I just, my, my reading of the whole story is that whatever Moshe's personal pain, the 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 logic of the narrative is that Moses has to be on the other side. I agree. You know, it, it, look, the, the the story wouldn't work the way it works without this. Barry, you have a... a... Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeremy. I don't think that the Torah would have been the Torah had Moses reached the promised land. That, in fact, what made it the book and the book that we still keep coming back to for us week after week now, the last couple of years, but for thousands of years now, is precisely because all Moshe gets is the glimpse of the promised land. That is his essential humanity because that's what we get in this life. We get a glimpse of the future, and it's only faith that allows us to think 
that there is something beyond our death. So let me let me try something here, okay? Which is that God doesn't reverse the, uh, the the case on appeal, right? The verdict stands. You're not going in. So Moses has a choice. Moses has a choice, which is to wallow in self pity, and or and or accept it, or or change the page altogether and change change the theme altogether and. and I want to present that as a as a possible interpretation that from the end of chapter three, in this the opening, which is you're not going in, basically the unstated thing is deal with it, and Moses says gets it. I'm I'm going to have to deal with it, and so the first word in chapter four is vatai Israel. You shift. It's like a complete shift in like in sailing. It's like a come about. It completely goes into another direction. Vatai Israel. You really feel. You feel that the the whole theme is shifting, and he says, "Vata Yisrael." Now is Shema Elachukim Amishpati Elamishpati Masharanochi Milamed Etchem, and it's not only because Milamed is my last name, okay? But this is the shift. The shift is I am now fully embracing my role as your teacher, and I want to talk about, talk about this. Now we we touched on it last week. Tvarim is Moshe as teacher, Moshe as rabbi. And now what we're getting here is teaching. Respond, you know, on that theme, as, as you know, with, with Lamed and Limadatem and so many different forms of, of the word Lamed, you could do an exercise in this Parsha and, and kind of list all the different forms where you see teaching. I mean, do you see Moshe as a teacher now? Is, you know, and what's he trying to teach? And what is the content here? Basically. I think what he's trying to teach is how the Israel is going to successfully enter the land. So there are a number of references to Baal Pa'or, the catastrophe that we read about at the end of uh, Parshat Balak and the beginning of Parshat Pinchas, where the children of Israel are seduced by the women of Moab and engage in um, cultic and orgiastic rituals that shall we say, are not approved of by the powers that be. And it was the counterpoint to the great sin of the golden calf, which took place in the first year of the wandering. And now in the last year, something similar happens. And Moses, I I think one of the keys to the beginning here is that this time God says, don't mention this again, which makes me wonder if before there was an intimation, perhaps on God's part, that Moses might get, some release if he would only offer the appropriate argument. But now God has said, we're done here. And Moses realizes that he still has a sacred task. He is a faithful servant of God. And even though he's not going to get into the land, he has to make sure that Israel gets into the land. And what's going to secure their success is this unwavering belief and testimony of the oneness of God. And everything else becomes subsidiary to that, I think. It's an introduction to what is going to be a very lengthy legal portion of the Book of Devarim, which is going to be the charter for the the new state. Jeremy, Moses now taking on this role and, and you know, what the content is. and So um, Moshe does a few things, and I, I would... I think that for the most part, Be'er Hanan, as as Barry said, you know, 
it's going to be kind of an introduction to the lengthy legal portion. Obviously, the Ten Commandments are themselves legal, and we read Shema Yisrael in in specific legal ways, like like it it it, it has the mitzvah of breaking mezuzah, it has the mitzvah of wearing tefillin, it has the mitzvah of reciting the Shema itself. But really, most of this portion is 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 a kind of a, a preaching, kind of a sermon. Um, to get people ramped up, to give them a reason why. I think that anybody who wants to to persuade people to follow a way of life has to give them a reason why. And so I, I feel like this is this is like the preamble before getting into the de- the getting into the nitty gritty nitty gritty details. He he says repeatedly, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you Chukim and Mishpatim, and we have a, a convention of reading those two words Chok and Mishpat to mean. Uh, the the rules that a, a hook is a has no necessarily explicit reason like don't eat pork why just don't eat it uh, and a mishpat is something with with a manifestly logical reason don't steal don't kill you understand anybody can understand those things um, and and the details are not arbitrary so I think that the the that repeated thing of of I'm going to teach you chukim mishpatim to me represents the the different sorts of th- guidance that people need. People need a culture, and and we have a religious culture, and we do the things that we do, and they're they connect us, you know, in a in a way that is beyond mere mere rationality or mere prudence. Um, and we have mishpatim, which are prudent, which are are uh, uh, constitutive of building a good society. Now, there's something that happens in this parsha about that content. Which always has kind of rubbed me the wrong way, um, in which Moshe says, "This is this is chokmat chemu binat chem amim. This is this is your wisdom in the eyes of the other nations who will say, "Wow, have you ever seen a, a, a nation? Let me get the exact. Let me get the exact uh, 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 phrasing here." Um, Oh, I've never seen the other nations are going to say. I've never seen such righteous, cultural, and prudent, and and you know, good, good social organization. Well, it strikes me as this slightly neurotic Jewish thing of needing validation from the other nations. Who cares what the other nations? Why would the other? What difference does it make if the other nations think that the Torah makes us wise? Um, the Torah should be inherently wise, and, and uh, the part that doesn't rub me so well is, is is that looking for validation. But the point, the claim that emerges out of that is, these are hukim u'ishpatim tzadikim. These are wise, good laws. They're not just they're not just you shouldn't obey them simply because I told you so, but because they in fact do embody the good life. And and I to- I totally feel that we we were talking before the started recording about. What is trust? And for me, what is trusting in God? Or to me, one of the big ways that trust manifests in my life is trusting that the Jewish way of life is edifying. The Jewish way of life is ennobling and gives you gives you virtues. And I have lots of reason to trust that. I certainly have seen it in my own my seen it in the world around me, feel it in my own life. But like sometimes when it's hard, you know, to me. What's called for me religiously is to trust that this path is good. As well. well, I think I think I think you touched on. It. I think that that Moses's agenda here is to convey to them that sense. Look, they're not going to. I mean, I'm thinking about you know, what if you were in the audience 
you know, listening to this speech, okay? You're not going to remember every single word. You're not going to be able to repeat everything verbatim, although people had, you know, a different kind of memory than, than we do now. But people are going to experience it in some way. And what is it that he wants to convey to them? He wants to convey to them the sense that this is good, this is right. And there is there is this this thing, I'm not going to get there with you. I'm not, you know, it's the, like, I, I want to paraphrase Martin Luther King, right? I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, okay? He knows he's not going to get there with you. So in the absence of me, being there to teach you and to judge you and to be there with you, I'm going to give you this whole suitcase, this whole Samsonite collection of laws that you're going to remember and know, and I'm going to give you the affect, I'm going to give you the relationship, and not only that, I'm going to remind you that you who live 40 years after the revelation at Sinai, you are actually those people. You are, it's, it's this beautiful, genius, oratorical move that has Moses identify the people in front of him as if they were the, in fact, the people that were at Sinai, which is, I think, what's he's what's he he's trying to do here? He's trying to get them to identify as with the people that heard God directly. And that's 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 yeah. exactly what religion needs to do yeah. is to help you feel that your personal life has, you know, more than merely metaphorical connection with the great events of the people so what's especially rich in what you say elliot is that even then there is this need to take sinai with us yes. right? that's really what we associate with the rabbis creating opportunities for sinai moments but already as you mentioned by moses treating the generation about to enter as if they were at sinai it's a way to transport sinai into the the promised land but from a rhetorical point of view, I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of repetition. Right? Chukim Mishpatim occurs over and over. Baal Pu'or occurs over and over. The oneness of God. The Shema, I think we could read as kind of a, a shorthand for the Ten Commandments, which they follow. So that the people who are listening to what is evidently a lengthy address, um, we don't do it all in one Torah reading, so we know it's pretty long. Um, they will remember those things that are repeated. And they'll come away, I think, this week with this idea that Bapur was bad and we have laws to deal with it. And that's what we need to do. I want to, I want to shift to another theme here, which I think is a really, really important theme in this Parsha. And that's um, encapsulated by the word Ahava, which we translate as love. We I'm not sure that the word Ahava in Hebrew means love, that we understand in English. I, I think there's a layer of loyalty, connection, relationship to this whole thing. Uh, the theme is God loves your answer. God loves your, your, your fathers, really. God loves you. You are to love God. And if you love God, this is what's going to happen. So I'm going to give you the verse. It's, it's, the verse is chapter 4, verse 37. Uh, it's a great line, because he loved your fathers, because, uh, you know, it's like God is saying, I had a relationship with your father. I knew, I knew your father. I knew your grandfather. Your grandfather, we were very close. Abraham, I loved him. There was nobody better, nobody, nobody more beloved than Abraham. Avram, oh, he loved me too. 
And because of that relationship, you, the descendants, you can be the most awful people. But I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna have a relationship because of your father, right? Am I reading this too sentiment, sentimentally, or, or there's too much sentimentality here with this, or, or is there something there, right? I love your father. There's a lot there because the words that follow are by Yifchar Bezaro Acharav. Because of this love, I took their descendants sight unseen. I did not even have to wait for them before I chose them as the descendants of the people I love to be my people. And that, in a sense, is a kind of love, right? Where we take what is before us, either literally standing before us or imaginatively in the future, and say, this is ours, this is whom I form an important relationship with. Does it give us any kind of solace... You know, because we identify ourselves as the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, of course. You know, and, and in a way, the, the subtext is, look, we're never going to be like them. I mean, we're certainly never going to, you know, have that relationship. But we're so proud of the fact that our ancestors did have that relationship. And that, you, you know, I, I don't know if we have... I don't think we have an ambivalent relationship towards them. I think we have an adoring relationship to them. Of course, we we under, we adore them as we adore our own ancestors in the sense that you know they're flawed people. They're things that we love and we don't like about them, but but they're ours. And and in a way, as a descendant here, I'm thinking, I, gee, isn't that wonderful? God had a relationship with with my ancestor, and and that alone gives me a kind of credit. <laughs> well, the, the natural the natural outgrowth of you know, you guys, 40 years later, you weren't the individuals who were at Sinai, but you were at Sinai, yeah. right? And, and um, you know, you, you uh, are not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Um, and and I, I think that the natural outgrowth of, of locating our own individual lives in the sweep of the, the great story is precisely to do that. So... God had a God had a uh, relationship with your ancestors, uh, you know. May not be. Ah, listen, I don't know you, punk, but but you know, um, but because of my because of our history, it, it may be like no, no. Listen, really, not, the, the ancient people wouldn't have spoken about DNA, but I see them actually still alive in you. It's tehiyat hametim. They're dead people whose genes we carry. And and that is in in an organic way. This is the resurrection of the dead, and then the dead still live in us. Um, and and that I think is like a, a, a fundamental religious impulse to realize that people um, who who have passed away, uh, both individuals that we know and the, the the mythic ancestors, they're still alive. They're still here. We carry their stories. We carry the, you know, we 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 have a, a purchase on their past, and we are their future and destiny. By the way, I just want to say one thing about the the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And one of the piyutim, uh, the keynote in in Tisha B'Av, one of the dirges, uh, and then and and hear me out. He goes and he's visit Jeremiah goes to visit all the ancestors' graves. To implore them to pray to God to take care of the people and in, in this particular uh, to, to take care of the the punished Israelites and in this particular kina you know God 
Abraham says, God, come on, I under, I want to win 10 tests. Come through for me. And God said, listen, they, they really worship a lot of idols, and I really can't overlook that. And then it goes down, and it arrives to Sarah, Rebecca, uh, Rachel, and Leah, Zilpah, and Bilhah. Bilhah. Uh, uh, I thought that's so cool. <laughs> the, the, two, the two concubine mothers of four of the tribes um, you don't really see them get incorporated into the ancestral lineage that much, but they are the mothers of, of four of the tribes. And so those two uh, lower status women are, are are knocked up a notch and invoked along with the with the more famous ancestors. And I just thought that was kind of awesome. All right. So let, let me see if I can compress it. So it's the, the claim is because I loved your ancestors, I gave you. I made a covenant with you. I gave you the Ten Commandments. And then the Parsha goes on and said, Moses is talking and says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Echad. Here, Israel, God is one. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Echad. And you should love God. In other words, I'm reading it in the context of, of, of his speech here. Forget the fact that we know this you know, passage so well, you know, we, we, we have the flaw sometimes that the, 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 the passages of the Torah that we know so well, we recite from memory, we forget the context. And the context is, I loved your ancestors, I gave you the covenant, here you are, here are the Ten Commandments, and now I'm asking you in return to love God, to be, to, to, and I would say, I'm asking for your loyalty. I'm asking for your devotion. I'm asking for, never mind your devotion, I'm asking for all in, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And I want these things. And I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you to comment on this. I want these 10 commandments. These, the thing that I just did at Sinai, and I repeat it for you, I want them to be on your heart. Vishinantam levanecha, and that word only occurs here once, you know, vishinantam, which is like razor chisel in. Vishinantam is to be so sharp. I want them to be incised in you, in your children. I want to engrave, I can't engrave a human being, but like I can engrave stone, but I want, if, if I could, I want to engrave these words on you. I want, this is what I'm asking from you. I want, I want you. I want your loyalty. I want your connection. Right. And, 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 you know, so the question is, we say this every day, right. And, and do we really understand what we're saying here or do what, what is being asked of us here? And I I think this is awesome. And I can just say that the, 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 that pair of loving, um, is so well instantiated in the liturgy because the blessing right before Shema in the morning, in, in the evening too, but I'll quote the morning one, the blessing right before is Ahava Rabba Ahavtanu, you know, uh, love that with the great love. Okay, right. so translate just for a second. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry for running off so fast. The blessing right before Shema is thanking God for the loving gift of the Torah. It stresses that God gave the Torah because God loves us and therefore calls upon us to proclaim the oneness of the divine name, Be'ahava, with love. And then the first thing we say is, Shema Yisrael, Be'ahavta, and you should love. So the liturgy really expresses that, that great observation that you just had, I love, therefore you love. Right, and and that and that there's I'm I'm demanding or you are demanding I'm asking I'm I'm charging you, and I want to 
you know, that we have difficulty, maybe I'm saying it personally, with the sense that, that a post-Holocaust Jew, a modern Jew is saying, you know, for us to say love God, I, I, we get we get a little, it's it's not so simple, right? And But if we, if we understand it in terms of, I want the intensity of this relationship, no matter how difficult and painful and how, how, how impossible it can be, you live in that relationship. That's what it means to be a Jew. You, uh, to be a Jew means to be loyal to God with the ultimate, even your life. Right? And then it says at the end, okay, so, so it, it makes a slight shift. It says, uh, I, 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 I chose you, you're a holy nation, um, at the end of chapter 7, lo merubchem, not because you're so numerous, I have cleaved you. you're the smallest. You're the smallest. Hama'at mikol amim, ki ma'ahavat me'ahavat Adonai etchem. I love it. It's most, I think this is great oratory here. Moses starts out by saying, I loved your father. You love God. And it's it's because God loves you. It's like, that's the punchline here. It's like, it's your relationship that matters. You're on the line here. It's, there's, I, it's, it's personal here. This Dvarim is, you know, how does it live in our lives? How, how I don't know if you have a reaction to. So you've added a lot of important insights here, Elliot. So draw your attention to the word chashak in the verse right before, from the God's love for us, is which intimates a kind of passion that God had for us. So I think that ahav, to love, is used to describe intensity. It's a relationship of intensity. It may not be quite like love the way we see love in modern America or modern North America in the 21st century, but the intensity is an important part. And there are two rivers, as it were, of religious thought and experience that run parallel to each other. One is called Yerah, fear, and the other is called Ahava, love. And there's a tension between the two. We want to experience God in an awesome way out of Yerah, and we also want to experience God in an intimate way out of Ahava. And here in our Parsha, the emphasis is mostly on the Ahava, that what we're looking for and what God wants from us is not that we stay away, but that we create and forge an intimate bond with him. And I just wanted to add one last thing, because you asked, do we really understand the Shema? I think that we do, but we might understand it differently every day, because that allows for our own personal and spiritual growth. I think the, the whole idea of, you know, this the intensity of the relationship, I, I, again, you know, I don't want to, you know, call it out too much, but but the, we, we, we kind of have an asterisk on the word, Ava or love, which is, it's not that. It's not. I don't. I remember. I watched a, in his um, an interview of uh, someone in Israel. You know, a very passionate Jew, and and he was saying in Hebrew, uh, the way I imagine God, who melatefoti, he's mm-hmm. like stroking me, he's hugging me. You know, I come and I, I I showed it to my class, and I said like like uh, sorry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I look, you're entitled, but. That's not my experience. I don't have experience. 
you know, of being embraced, you know, it's, it's just a little more complicated than that because life is more complicated than that. And that, and, and the whole, the whole matrix of our relationship, but I can get behind loyalty. I can get behind the sense of I'm connected to you through thick and thin. I'm connected to you if, if my life depended on it, because my life does depend on it. I'm connected to you and I will, you know, write it on my my flesh i'll put it on my eyes i'll put it on my door i'll i'll incise my heart with i'll engrave to the extent that i can i'm able to physically vishinantam and i will and it's so important to me i'm going to teach it you know and and jerry back to what you were saying the 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 i mean the rabbis go go you know go go with that wherever you go Right? When you are dwelling in your house, when you're walking on the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So, you know, we have entire tractates on the, on those five so, words. <laughs> what's striking in the way you're presenting this, Elliot, is that in German, this sounds very much like I and thou by Martin Buber. Sure. That this is a description of an I-thou relationship with God. This is how it happens. You are totally addressing the the great one, however, whatever appellation we want to use for God, and you are, if not embraced, you are received by God as well. I want to I want to push in an opposite direction with you about the 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 lituch, the little caress. <laughs> um, I I actually feel uh, somewhat closer to, to to that person in the interview. Um, and and I just would point out that uh, in in two ways, one in a somewhat unsophisticated way, one in a very sophisticated way. Like the the Tata in Himmel, you know, got the the Daddy in Heaven, Avinu Shabashamayim, the Eberster. We have a way of talking about about God, this very homespun folk, and the simple piety of people who who you know feel that God is is. You know the dear Tate and Himmel. I think that that's been a big part of Jewish spirituality. But now the the very sophisticated way, and this and this is true to. I don't know a ton about you know Islamic mysticism, a little bit more about Christian, but I know a reasonable amount about Jewish mysticism. And the Kabbalistic traditions blend the erotic. You know, vocabulary that 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 loving God is like uh, erotic desire in the, in the human world, um, because the ecstasy, the joy, the intimacy, the 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 mystical writers tended to find sexual metaphors um, because their experience of God was intense, joyful, ecstatic, intimate, and and the only human metaphors that really get that done. Um, our love metaphors, and and I think that that our our literature is extremely rich um, in exactly those ways, and it makes its way into you know the Hadudi, Yidid Nefesh, but certainly the mystical tradition is just suffused with that sense of of you know enormous enormous intimate connection, and, just, and I think that's like a great part of our tradition. It's just such a it's such a it's such a rich. I mean, it's the uh, you know, if not the richest, the, the most essential theme, right? It's like, what is this all about? What, 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 what are we doing here? Why are we studying this? It's, 
it's because everything's at stake. The relationships at stake. Our life depends on on this relationship. As difficult, complicated, and as joyful, and as you know, as powerful and infinite it can be. It's 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 just. Uh, you know, this is why you know we can spend a lot of time on on this parsha, and of course on on this Shabbat, which is Shabbat Nachama. We, you know, the 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 first Shabbat after Tisha B'Av, which is um, the Shabbat of comfort. And I guess you know you could say along the theme, Anochi, you know, Nachamu, I am the one who comforts you. God is a comforter. Dabru, Dabru al Levi, speak to the heart. Isaiah says in that passage, speak to the heart. Of uh, of Jerusalem, um, you know, as we ruminate on how much we love camp, you know, this Shabbos at camp when the when the choir sings that Nachamu Nachamu is just soaring and wonderful, and they always because of the orthography, the, the there's no there's no yud, there's no second yud in the word Yerushalayim as it's written, but you still pronounce it Yerushalayim. They always say the wrong thing. Dabru alev Yerushalayim. No, 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 it's Yerushalayim. But <laughs> but uh, that that. It's it's almost a seduction word. Speak to her heart. It's so it's so rich. Very powerful. Well, we've spoken from the heart to the heart. We hope you know here we 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 we've not even touched the surface of this. Amazing. We didn't even talk about the Ten Commandments, really. The Ten Commandments, the Vahafta, and everything. And there's so many quotable quotes from Vayetchanan, but this is where we have to leave it, I guess. But I, I just say one thing: Ten Commandments, guys, ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening. If you remember one thing out of Judaism, lo tirzach, don't kill anybody, okay? <laughs> okay. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. Let, let's go. We're going to go there. Okay. Well, we had a wonderful time talking with everybody today. We hope you enjoyed this. We thank you for spending time with us. And we look forward to you. And the people at camp, we look forward to you back. Have a wonderful, wonderful end of the summer. And we will see you next week on another edition of Parsha Talk.